What Not the Podcast Lent Up Early Edition. I'm Pastor Wolfmuller on March 25th. Hey, it's the Annunciation Day, the day that nine months from Christmas today. That's kind of cool. The day that Gabriel came to Mary and announced that that uh, the Messiah was in her womb. How wonderful is that? Uh, here's a little devotion on Psalm 19, as well as a question from Elizabeth about what does it mean to bear our cross? Hope you enjoy the podcast. God's peace be with you. Here's a little devotion on Psalm 119, verses 7 to 10. Psalm, wait a minute, did I say Psalm 119? Psalm 19. There's three psalms that are called the Torah psalms or the Word of God psalms. Psalm 19, Psalm 1, and Psalm 119. You only conveniently have to remember one number, 119, and then just split it up. So 119 and 119, and these psalms really focus on the blessing and benefit of the Word of God. Psalm 19, oh, it's beautiful. It really has sort of three parts. The Verses 1 to 6, the first part, has to do with the preaching of the sun and the stars, which I don't understand. There's something wonderful there. It's about the natural knowledge of God, but specifically about how that's revealed in the sky. I think you could probably, there's some dangerous missteps to make there, but there's something there also that's very interesting. And then verses 7 to 10 talk about the Lord's word. It's where the Lord's name, Yahweh, the divine name, enters into the psalm, all before it's spoken of uh, as God. Uh, the the, the word Elohim is used, and then it switches to the divine name to speak of the Lord in verse 7. And then the last few verses are really wonderful. It talks about, well, it talks about justification, declare me innocent from hidden faults. That's the verse about um, forgiveness that's unknown and so forth. Uh, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That's a, can you imagine that? That's a prayer for sanctified meditation that the internal conversation that we're having, um, that all of us have, that it would be holy. But I'm especially looking at the six benefits or attributes of the Word of God that are listed in verses 7 to 9. And here's what they are. Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous altogether. That's the seventh. So here's how it reads. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then David concludes, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So the Lord's word is, so wonderful, and it is the thing that we desire and long for. In fact, in in Psalm, where did it? Oh yeah, here in Psalm twenty, 
where we pray, may he or hear the blessing, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. We realize that the Christian desire is for the Lord's word, which does all these great things. The other thing that I'm thinking about is this idea of the expectation of conversion. We we are tempted to think that things always go as they go. People are who they are. And we forget that that the Lord changes things. He changes us. So, so all these attributes of the Lord speak of its, its ability or power to change, revive the soul, make wise the simple, rejoice the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever. So the Lord comes to our dying soul and makes it alive. He comes to our foolishness and he makes us wise. He comes to our sadness and he gives us joy. He comes to our darkness and enlightens us. He comes to our corrupt and dying mortality and makes us endure forever. He comes to our sin and he makes us righteous. So that the Lord is in the business of conversion. We should remember that, especially when, and thinking about this a lot lately, when dealing with our enemies. I mean, I was still looking over all these surveys from people feeling hostility to their Christian faith at work. And we got to remember that Jesus is after all those people writing the mandates in the HR department. Jesus loves even the HR department and died for them. And it's his word that also makes wise those simple ones and rejoices those sad hearts and enlightens those darkened eyes. He loves them, and he's probably using your own suffering and affliction to bless them, which should be, well, that should be our boast as we boast in the Lord. So Psalm 19, verses 7 to 10, God be praised. Here's a question from Elizabeth about taking up the cross. Hey, PRBW, I have a question about what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. I've always heard taking up our cross spoken of as dealing with the hardships of life, whatever our personal sufferings may be. I just heard another idea on this, that taking up our cross is about the temporary earthly consequences of our sinful nature. We trust that Jesus already took all of our sin to the cross and paid for it once for all. So for us to take up our crosses now might mean recognizing our sins, repenting, and facing the consequences with God's help, rather than trying to get away with them or thinking of sin but lightly, as the hymn says. Oh yeah. Think of sin but lightly, nor despise the... Can't think of the hymn. That's a Lenten hymn. Da-da-da-da-da. Here we view its nature rightly. Here its guilt maker... Lenten hymn. Mm -hmm. Anyway, oops, I got distracted. Uh, Elizabeth continues, my question is, what do you think of the idea? Any references to old theology books you can recommend on the question? Thank you, Elizabeth. I think my friend David Preuss, Pastor Preuss, was working on his PhD on the crosses. Is that right? One of, maybe him or one of his brother. Great question, Elizabeth. Amazing to think of that the first time that the word cross comes up is 
when Jesus says to the disciples, take up your cross and follow me, and they kind of think, cross? What? What's this business? That, that it's the Christian's cross before it's even the cross of Jesus. And the cross means suffering. And uh, normally we pray that we would suffer for doing good. Like Peter says, don't suffer as a sinner. Don't suffer for doing bad. What good does that do you? We suffer for our good works. And it's true enough. I mean, the devil's right there to to make sure he slaps us around whenever we manage to do something right. Uh, that's, that's true. But c- could we consider consequences for our sin to be our cross? I think that's how we should think of it. If someone um, commits a crime and they're convicted and they go to prison, is that prison sentence a cross? Yeah, 100%. Rightly or justly or unjustly earned, we receive it as a gift. Well, we, yeah, we receive it as a gift from Jesus that we know that the Lord is working through that, that thing. Elizabeth asks for old books for this. I, the one that comes to mind is Martin Luther's On the Council and the Churches, The Councils and the Churches, which is a glorious book. And you can download it for free at wolfmuller.co, books, everyone's Luther, on the councils and churches. I'll read, at the end, he talks about the seven marks of the church. And so, if you want to skip to page 244, you'll read the seventh mark of the church, which goes like this. The holy Christian church is outwardly known by the holy possession of the holy cross. Did you hear the holy, holy, holy there? The holy Christian church is outwardly known by the holy possession of the holy cross. It, the church, must endure all hardship and persecution, all kinds of temptation and evil, as the Lord's Prayer says, from the devil, the world, and the flesh. It must be inwardly sad, timid, terrified, outwardly poor, despised, sick, weak. Thus it becomes like its head, Christ. At another place, uh, I was reading a sermon somewhere that said, why would the body be decked in silk when the head is crowned with thorns? So the church and the Lord's people uh, suffer persecution. And, uh, And it's what we expect. I mean, it shouldn't be any different. Luther continues, the reason must be only this, that the church holds fast to Christ and God's word and thus suffers for Christ's sake. According to Matthew 5.10, blessed are they that endure persecution for my sake. Christians must be righteous, quiet, obedient, ready to serve their rulers and everyone else with body and wealth, doing no harm to any. But no people on earth must endure such bitter hatred. They must be considered worse than the Jews and the heathens and the Turks. They must be called heretics, knaves, devils, accursed and the worst people in the world to the point where they are doing God's service who hang them, drown them, slay them, torture them, hunt them down, plague them to death and where no one has pity on them but gives them myrrh and gall to drink when they thirst. Not because they are adulterers, murderers, thieves or scoundrels but because they will have Christ alone and no other God. Where you see or hear this there know that the Holy Christian Church is as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are ye when men curse you and reject 
your name as an evil, wicked thing for my sake. Be glad and rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. With this holy possession, the Holy Ghost makes this people not only holy, but blessed. Oh boy. So that the cross is not only how the Lord makes us holy by not imputing our sins and by cultivating uh, his name and his life in us, but also he blesses us and gives us the gift of suffering and the gift of the cross. Now, we notice on that list that where Luther's talking about the cross that he talks about the flesh, and this is probably, uh, Elizabeth, the right way to think about it. So do I consider the uh, do I consider the punishment for my sin and the consequences of my sin to be a cross? Well, sure. But even more, I consider the fact that I still have my own sinful flesh hanging around my neck, trying to drag me down to hell, trying to tempt me on the way of death instead of on the way of life. That is a cross. So that we endure the, the afflictions outwardly of the world, brought inwardly by the devil, and inwardly in my flesh, we endure all of those things as crosses, as the Lord is bringing us um, through this valley of the shadow of death to the promises of life eternal. So there you go. Thanks so much for the question. Really uh, wonderful. And may the Lord give us strength and patience to bear our crosses, not only um, with endurance, but also with joy. Thanks for being part of the fun. Wolfmuller.co, there's a tab that says books, then everyone's Luther, and you can see, I don't know, maybe 10 writings of Martin Luther that are in the public domain, and I've sort of rehashed for easy consumption. One of those is on the councils and the churches, and uh, you can download all those for free, or you can purchase them from Lulu. That's who I use to publish these things, self-publishing. All those links are there. That's a great great text. If you've read the large catechism, then this might be the next one to read and consider. It's how Luther would have us think of the authority that the Catholic Church claims in the historical evidence. And he he wrestles through the troubles with that, and but always gives a real evangelical argument. I mean, he's always drawing us back to the scriptures, to the wisdom of God in Christ, and to the comfort that we have in law and gospel. So that's great. Uh, that's there for you as well. Uh, and when you're at the website, you can. There's a lot of theology around there. Uh, it'll link you over to the YouTubes and and everything else. Uh, so hopefully that's uh, hopefully that's all helpful for you. You can also find the button there to send a message to this podcast and to listen to all the uh, other things to download Wednesday whatnot or subscribe to Wednesday whatnot. I send a free book once a month. That's coming up now. Uh, to a subscriber of the Wednesday whatnot. So, so that's there for you too. So keep in touch. Have a great day. God's peace be with you.